This season on Three Things, we're zoning in on one theme, peak performance. What does it take to achieve greatness? How do you maintain it? And how do you continually find areas to improve in every area of your life? People are driven by different things. To me, the great peak performers out there are the people that are driven by this notion of there's always another gear. There's always a way to get better. It's two people, 20 minutes, and three things with Rick Elias. Marshall Roush is 96 years old. He was the first Jewish senator in North Carolina, serving 24 years and playing a key role during the civil rights era. He played basketball at Duke in 1941. He fought in World War II, and he's a serial entrepreneur who's worked with everyone from Elvis to Jim Baker. He's almost 100, but he's more focused now than ever on getting better every day. In fact, just after his 90th birthday, he launched a brand new business with his grandson. Rick asked him what the secret is to longevity. What's the secret to living a longer, happier life? How can we all reach Marshall's level of achievement, tenacity, and peak performance? This is Three Things with Rick Elias. I am super excited today because with us, I not only have a dear friend of mine, but somebody that I look up to immensely. I welcome Marshall Rausch to our show. Marshall, thank you for being here. Thank you for asking me. So Marshall, you are 96 years old. You've had an incredible life. You played basketball at Duke. You were in World War II. You built a successful business. You were a state senator for 24 years. Um, you have a highway named after you, but none of that, in my mind, compares to the kind of father, grandfather, uh, husband, and friend that you are. Tell us what friends and family mean to you. That's all of it. In life, you do many things. You pass through many phases. You go to many places. But you really can't do any of it if you don't have inner strength. You get the inner strength from your family, your friends, and your religion. And I feel that all three are quite synonymous. That is wonderful. Marshall, you um, you were just telling me that your trainer, you're going to uh, up your training to three times a week and you're going to start swimming again. Um, how important has exercise been in your life? And, you know, today, you know, at 96, you still work out quite regularly. So tell us about that. Well, I've been fortunate that I could be in athletics most all of my life. And uh, now... I don't say I like to work out. I don't say I like to take medicine, but at my age, you take medicine and you work out. I find that that's extremely important. I get, a, I get confidence from it, and uh, as I see myself improving, I wanna do more. Very important. So you're still keeping that body fat in the 12% range? <laughs> <laughs> So, Marshall, uh, let's uh, let's talk a little bit about um, your journey in business. You had a successful textile business, and all of a sudden, you became known as the Jewish Santa Claus. Tell us how that happened. One day, when we were manufacturing the uh, balls, that is the kite cord, the wrapping cord, and the crochet thread, my phone rang, and uh, a fellow said, Marsh? Well, nobody calls me Marsh. It's either Bush or Marshall. And I said, yeah. He said, this is Bill. 
Well, I'm a salesman all the time. I say, great, Bill, great to hear from you. How's everything? And he comes back and asks me if I'm playing golf, playing gin rummy, and we talk things over like old friends. He said, uh, Marsh, I'm going to send you a ball. As I understand, you wind balls. I said, yes, we do that every day. I'm thinking crocheting, kaikoi. He says, okay, I'm going to send you a ball, and if you can make it, we're going to do a lot of business. I'm going to send you a sample. I said, wait, wait a minute, Bill. Uh, which Bill is this? He says, we never met. <laughs> he said, I was playing gin rummy the other night. Someone knew you and told me to call you, and I did. I said, well, uh, you just send it. We'll look at it, and we'll do the best we can. So he sent a sample. I thought he was sending me artificial fruit. It was a round ball wrapped in a rayon thread, and in fact, it had a leaf, of a, a fake leaf, of course, in it. And it looked just like a uh, piece of fruit. And I got it, and I, we tried to make it. We couldn't. It was difficult. And about a week went by, and Spiegel called, and he said... Uh, have you made the sample? I said, no, we're just having a little trouble. He said, can you make it? I said, sure, we'll make it. I said, I'll talk to you in a few days. Well, a few <laughs> days went by, and we made a sample. He came down and wanted to see it, and we showed it to him, and we made a real nice piece of artificial fruit. By then, I thought it was a Christmas ornament, but I still didn't know the potential volume in Christmas ornaments. Now, we made that uh, kite cord and I knew the cost of that was 54 cents a dozen. And really, that was approximately the f same price that it was going to be 54 cents a dozen. That was our selling price. So I said, I'm going to make some money on this. We made about 20% yeah. previously. And I'm going to make some money on this. And I said, said 54 cents. I said, uh, we can do it. It'll be tough but I know you need a low price and we'll get it out to you for about 64 cents. We were gonna double our money Yeah, we hadn't been making. He said, how, can you, how many can you make before December 1st? I said, we can make 300,000 dozen. Well, you figure that out. We are gonna make 20 cents times 300,000 dozen? That's 60 grand, that's money. <laughs> so that's what we settled for and that's what we did. Did you get a lot of grief from your friends at the temple for making Christmas ornaments? No, but my Christian friends couldn't understand it. <laughs> oh, I got grief from everybody. In, uh, after it got going and we were well known in it, my son Mark, who was the sales manager, arranged to see Jim Baker. Mm. We had a specialty ornament that we made. We made it for Elvis Presley when he died. You have a three and a quarter inch ball with the four color process picture of Elvis on it. Wow. In this case with Jim Baker, Mark sold, uh, Mark sold uh, Jim Baker's buyer, I don't know who the name was, a uh, Christmas ornament with uh, their church on it, and the whole bit, and after Mark finished with them, I said, how'd you do? He said, well, good, and we got a good price. I said, what do we get? He said, dollar and a half an ornament. Now, this doesn't compare with that six-cent ornament I was talking about before. Yeah. But uh, that was a reasonable but a good price. Yeah. And I congratulated Mark of getting a dollar and a half for that. 
I used to stay up every night and see uh, television. Can't remember his name, but he had the late show. Johnny Carson. Johnny Carson. Yeah, great memory. Right after Johnny Carson, Jim Baker came on every night, and he talked about his ministry and the whole bit. Yeah. Well, just uh, as I said, I congratulated Mark, and out comes Jim Baker with our ornament. And he's telling his people they can get this ornament as a permanent keepsake memento of the church. And you really should buy it, and it's important. I mean, he was selling. Yeah. And then he ended up saying, for $25 each, we'll send you as much as <laughs> I turned the radio off. I caught the TV off. I called Mark. I said, you're no salesman. Jim, <laughs> Jim Baker's a salesman. <laughs> Uh, that is classic. I want to go back um, to your Duke days, and, and you were enrolled at Duke, and you uh, were going to play basketball. We're playing basketball at Duke, and yeah. then you got called yeah. to the military. Tell us about that part okay. of your life. Okay. Um, I'm very proud that I played basketball for Duke. When I went there, it was 1940. Freshmen were not allowed to play varsity ball. So I was good. I had a lot of time playing on the, on the freshman team. Second year, I was a sophomore. But realize, when I was a sophomore, I was 18 years old. Uh, but I was on the squad. I played. In fact, I had a position. I was a closer. A lot of people, had not knowing basketball in that day, don't know what a closer like is. Like in baseball? Like a closer? A closer, yeah. Tell me. Yeah, I'll tell you. Um, you know, we had uh, today, they've got three-point shooters. they got foul shooters. they got uh, dunks and a whole yeah. bit. Yeah, that's fine. I was a closer. Now, here's the way it worked. And, by the way, Eddie Cameron was coach then. The, the arena was named for him yeah. later on. Eddie yeah. was coach. Here's the way it worked. If Duke got 20 points ahead or 20 points behind and 20 seconds to get, to go, he put me in. I closed out the game. <laughs> now, it was a wonderful experience, and I'm very proud to ever had I've had a part of it. But what happened the next year, I, like so many other guys my age, signed a contract with Uncle Sam saying that if we joined a reserve, they would do two things for us. When we were graduated, we'd become an officer, and we could pick the branch of service we wanted. Well, I was a math major. Everybody told me you can't do anything with that. But that made me a meteorologist in my mind, you know, if I was going to go. <laughs> so I was signed that up, Air Course Meteorologist. But you know... In February of 42, they didn't read the contract and said that all of us read it wrong. And they took about 300,000 guys out of all the colleges wow. in the United States, there were about 300,000 of us, and we went into what was called ASTP, some Army Training or something like that. And uh, we, we all went in service, and I went, and uh, 
they did put me in the Air Corps. I washed out. I might have been the only Army cadet in the world to ask to wash out. But I went up 14 times in a Piper Cub, and my instructor said to me, you don't ever have to be worried about getting hit by a Messerschmitt. You'll kill yourself. (laughs) (laughs) I was sick 14 times, and I told the officer, I I can't handle this. So he sent me to a psychiatrist. (laughs) True? I said, there's nothing wrong with me. I said, I just don't like to fly. So he agreed that I was sane and all that jazz. But would you believe the next line I was in was in the Air Corps to be an aerial gunner. And the only reason they didn't take me, I was too tall. Really? Yeah, they wanted aerial gunners for those B-17s and that bubble under there. Yeah. Wow. So uh, they sent me to the infantry. Yeah. And uh, I was in the 66th Infantry Division, which had 40,000 men. Mm. And uh, I'm proud of every minute I was there. I was in combat about a year. I was overseas a year and three quarters. I never got scratched, thank God. Mm. Um, I want to talk about your dad for a little bit. Um, I know that he was a very influential person on you and and he was a, a tough, uh, a tough dad. Uh, maybe, you know, in that generation, most dads were super tough. Uh, but I want you to tell the story of Sam Schwartz. I have never forgotten the story. You told me the story of uh, making your first million dollars. Oh, yeah. in, <laughs> you told me the story about 10 years ago. Let's, let's change it to the first 100,000. Okay. You, <laughs> I don't want to use a big numbers. All right. So this is... Uh, no, I, I, no, we'll tell the truth. <laughs> My father was visiting, and uh, we were driving, just the two of us, and uh, I decided that I was going to tell him. It was the first time our company ever made a million dollars. I said, Dad, I want you to know this past year we made a million dollars. Do you know my friend Sam Schwartz? His son made four million. <laughs> Never good enough, huh? Never what good year enough. was that? Oh, it had to be. Uh, I can't, I In the seventies? I don't remember. Yeah, 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 yeah. But, I, I don't remember. <laughs> but that, that was so. That was your dad, right there. That that was my father, but a great, great father. Yeah, yeah. He, uh, yeah. How about your mother? What was she like? My mother was a, a, a lovely uh, woman, a housekeeper. In those days, you know, the men worked and the women kept house. And my mother was a strong woman. In fact, when I went in service, she went to work in a hospital as a volunteer. And my sister told me the reason she did that she hoped I'd have had a better chance coming home because she was doing that. Wow. But you know, I'll tell you something that I think about now and I never thought of. And I wonder if guys my age are the same. Yes, I was in the infantry, but I wasn't worried. Hmm. I was there, but I wasn't worried. I know my mother and father went to bed every night worried. 
And that's a terrible thing when you think about that. Right. But that's what war does. I want to I go into a whole different direction of your life. Um, you've been a, a civil servant for many years uh, in our country. You started really engaging the Boys Club, and you wanted them to build a facility, and that led you to city council, and you served there for six years, and then... I want you to take it from there and take us on this remarkable journey of being the longest serving member of the Senate of North Carolina. Well, <clears throat> I enjoyed the Boys Club uh, as a kid. When I was 16 and 17, I had a Boys Club of 10-year-olds. It was always fun for me. <clears throat> and not having enough Um, recreational facilities in Gastonia, I ran for city council. That was a reason I got in politics, and I did serve there six years. And then I gave it up for trying to make money. <clears throat> and in 19, early 60s, we had the civil rights movement, and I was asked to be chairman of the, uh, I believe it might have been called the Human Relations Committee, to integrate Gaston County. I, I wanted to help, so I jumped into that with both feet. Yeah. Got a great committee together, and we integrated Gastonia. We have black people playing on a golf course, always had that, which was the bone we used to grow from, that the golf course was integrated. <clears throat> we integrated the restaurants, the motels, the movie theaters. I can't say we did the YMCA, but the YMCA followed suit, and uh, the schools were following suit, and uh, we... We had such a good committee. We did a really good job. And through that, I was invited to be on the state uh, human relations committee. And uh, at the same time, um, they redistricted Gastonia. Gastonia previously had one state senator And now they redistricted, put it with Cleveland County, and gave the two counties two senators. They could be from anywhere. And I decided I wanted to run. We had a good ticket, and uh, I did get elected. And then I was elected 12 terms. And I, re I had a wonderful experience in the Senate. Actually, to just be blunt about it, For the first 10 years, I was that Jewish guy from New York who was in the Senate. Right. But I got recognized by Jimmy Green when he became lieutenant governor. And uh, Jimmy opened the doors for me. And for the last 12 years, I was chairman of finance. That's a great spot. Put it this way, everybody returned my phone calls when I was uh, 
chairman of the finance committee, everybody. Hey, Marshall, everybody still returns your phone call. No, <laughs> that's what I got to tell you. <laughs> they don't get returned as quickly. Listen, you are a dear friend of mine. I, I look forward to our lunches. Uh, you inspire me uh, because you're the one person I met that refuses to let the old man in. Uh, you are as youthful, as dreamful, as energetic as you know any 25-year-old friend of mine that I have. And I would love for you to share that secret. What is the secret that keeps you you know, constantly uh, dreaming about the future. I am a religious Jew. I guess, I think family and religion are synonymous. Yeah. And that's, I've got so much, I'm so grateful, and I'm very grateful that you're my friend. You know, we've made some money together, but I'll give up the money just for you. Uh, the feeling is mutual, and uh, for your hundredth, I have an idea. Okay. All right, we're going to charter a big plane, and we're going to go to Vegas, because about five years ago, I went to Vegas with you, and you whooped uh, the crab stable, and I want to watch that again. Do we have a date? Date. As you can tell, I absolutely love spending time with Marshall. A 96-year-old that has so much passion for life is nothing short of inspiring. So here are the three things I took out of our conversation. Number one is you have to create your own luck. Marshall took a phone call from a stranger and committed to build something on which ultimately he built a massive business from. How many times do we not take a chance because we're afraid of the outcome. And number two, and Marshall lives by this, don't take yourself too seriously. If you can laugh at yourself, you will always have a reason to smile. And number three, and something that Marshall does better than anybody, is live with gratitude. The opposite of love is not hate, it's indifference. The opposite of unhappy is not happy, but gratefulness. There is no chance for unhappy life if you live with gratefulness, and Marshall exemplifies that to the best. Not making the Duke basketball team and having to go to war no matter what, Marshall lives with a sense of gratitude that has been critical for him living a long and happy life. We should all learn from that. Rick shared his three things, but we want to know your takeaways as well. Tweet at Rick Elias to let us know your thoughts on this conversation. And be sure to check out additional content, videos, and more at our blog, threethings.redventures.com. Thanks for listening.